This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiansen. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us here on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in to the Podium Finish Live. I'm your host, Rob Tiansen, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas. And I'm joined alongside, as always, by my friend and co-host, Nathan Solomon. We're so glad that you could join us for another edition of the Podium Finish, which, as you know, is the fastest hour of racing talk. This is episode 23 of TPF Live, believe it or not. And it's going to be quite a dandy, of course, because we're going to be talking about everything that we saw happen at Coda. When I say we saw, whether you were watching it remotely or, in my case, covering the action live from Coda, Circuit of the Americas, it was quite the interesting race weekend. I don't think there was any shortage of action left on the table. And as far as the three winners are concerned, as far as Dane Smith, AJ Allmendinger, and Ross Chastain are concerned on this particular week, they are feeling quite victorious. Well, maybe more so Zane Smith and Ross Chastain. Well, you know, AJ Allmendinger certainly captured his first Xfinity race win of the season. I'm sure he's still thinking about all that happened on Sunday afternoon, but we'll get to all of those and much more as we kick off episode 23 here. Now, today's podcast is going to feature Landon Castle, a NASCAR Xfinity Series veteran racer who will be sitting in the hot seat for the first time on this iteration of our podcast. He'll talk about what his life is like racing for college racing, his new racing home, of course, how he persevered through those challenging times of not knowing whether or not you'll have a seat in NASCAR at all, and basically just how things are going at college. Is he getting along with his teammates? Is there anything about these experiences that are serving him well in terms of this season? So we'll hear from Landon and much, much more when we get to his hot seat segment. But of course, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce my co-host, Nathan, who I mentioned is my usual co-host. And Nathan, I know you've got quite a busy week ahead because I'm literally handing the baton to you from covering Coda to you covering Richmond. So how are you doing as we get ready for race week? Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm excited to be headed down to uh, down to the track this weekend for my first time. Uh, in, well, not really first time in 2022. First time as a fan, or excuse me, first time covering a race in 2022. I was at um, the Bush Clash as a fan while I was out at Super Bowl Radio Row. But yeah, super exciting week ahead for me. Um, but before I go down to, uh, to Richmond for NASCAR, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to head down to uh, New York City to cover St. Bonaventure and the NIT at Madison Square Garden. So Killing two birds with one stone this week. Super excited to, to be at the garden and, and be, uh, cover my uh, really my first event there and then uh, get down for my first ever TPF NASCAR race. So going to be going to be a heck of a week. Going to really be logging the miles like I could be driving like 1500 miles this week, but it's all going to be worth it in the end. So can't wait. I think you're going to be making a good case to be in the Rolex 24 with your car. So you know, we talked about Le Mans having the Crush 56 entry with NASCAR, Hendrick Motorsports, Chevrolet, and Goodyear, and IMSA. Well, maybe you need to have your own Garage 56 entry as you do the sports 24 hours of driving uh, for TPF and as well for St. Bonaventure University. And hopefully the Bonnies are going to be victorious in their preliminaries leading up to the NIT and the NIT tournament itself. So should be fun. And we'll probably talk about that in episode 24, of course. 
But before we proceed with our always amazing segment, Podium Perspectives, let me tell you, as always, how to save on getting those in-stock items from Lionel Racing's NASCAR collections or Greenlight Collectibles, if you're an IndyCar fan or just like to get those movie and treat, police, ambulance, any random vehicle that Greenlight Collectibles has to offer, whether in stock or pre-order, if your items are going to equate to $20 or more in the dollar total, you can get free shipping with promo code TPF2022. So head on over to circlebdiecast.com and you can get free shipping on items of $20 or more for in-stock orders or any pre-orders that will ship at the same time. So if you head over to circlebdiecast.com and use promo code TPF2022, just be sure to let Brent and his team know that Rob T. Yonkson and Nathan Solomon sent you over to get some big savings and a lot of diecast cars that will make your house quite racy in a good way, of course. With that being said, folks, you know how this podcast is working. If you've listened to the first 22 episodes, episode 23 won't start off too differently because we're going to get into Podium Perspectives. Well, as you know, it happened at the Circuit of the Americas on Sunday afternoon. The round number six of the NASCAR Cup Series season was not your usual type of road course race. In a good way, of course. I keep saying in a good way as if it's not awesome. I promise you it is awesome. Well, you know, stage number one, of course, we had Ryan Blaney on the pole and Daniel Suarez starting alongside him. But right off the get-go, Daniel Suarez said, I'm out of here. I'm going to take the lead and not look back. He won stage number one. And it looked like Trackhouse Racing was like, yeah, we've got a chance to win. We're going to get this in the bag. But then trouble found Daniel Suarez. Uh, when they got to stage number two, and he just never quite recovered after that. Let me start over. He never quite recovered after that. But we had Ross Chastain in the mix, certainly making sure that Justin Marks and car owner Pitbull knew that they still had somebody in the hunt ready to attack the usual suspects. But by usual suspects, I'm not talking about Hendrick Motorsports or Joe Gibbs Racing. I'm talking about the likes of Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe and, of course, Road Course Warrior A.J. Allmendinger, among others in the fold. When you got that quartet up there for the final stage, it was just incredible stuff to see. And on the last lap itself, although the scoreboard won't show because it looks like Ross Chastain just basically led without any issues in that overtime restart, no. There were unofficially at least three lead changes happening just before the stadium section heading into the final corner when we saw AJ Allmendinger put the bumper to Ross Chastain, just moving him out of the way, trying to get the lead for Alex Bowman was like, oh yeah, you guys are going to fight. I want in on this too. And when they got towards the stadium section, he asserted himself into the picture, got into the lead very briefly before Ross Chastain was like, nope, this is my day, sons. I'm going to get this. And he roots out A.J. Allmendinger and Alex Bowman out of his way, clearing the path to his first ever cup win and the first cup win for track house racing. I know that's quite a buildup I gave you, Nathan, but overall, I mean, what I saw from Coda, incredible stuff. I mean, I could go on and on, but I want to hear from you about Coda. What were your initial thoughts about what we saw on Sunday for round number six? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, in all honesty, I, I wasn't really in love with the first two stages of the race. I mean, I thought it was okay. Like, I didn't, it, w- it wasn't anything that was overly exciting. Like, it, it was an average first two stages. But then, I mean, the, th- the third stage was, was pretty incredible. Just that battle for the lead, like you said, between um, between Chastain and Reddick and Bowman and, and AJ Allendinger. I mean, that, that was so fun to watch. Obviously, there's a couple of cautions there towards the end that maybe took away from some, uh, some more fun green flag action. But, but yeah, I mean, Trackhouse really was the dominant team all day on Sunday, which is pretty incredible to say. Um, like you mentioned, Daniel Suarez, I think he qualified second, I, I believe. Um, and he, you know, he jumped out to the lead right there on that first lap and, and, and led for that entire first stage. And then um, w- with their pit strategy, they didn't short pit that stage. Um, so he pit during the stage race and kind of got caught up in traffic and ended up spinning and blew a tire. And then I think he got the back end i think he messed up the diffuser a little bit um so he he, he lost a little speed he stayed on the lead lap but he lost a little speed so it wasn't really a factor there towards the end but um really ross Chastain came right in and, and filled his shoes and he, he dominated for most of that third stage and yeah like you said though i mean aj allmendinger was just as quick as ross Chastain, but Chastain did a, an incredible job holding him off um tyler reddick was, was super pesky in there too he took the lead for a second um, I think there was a restart where he jumped from like seventh to second right in turn one. So, I mean, it was all about positioning there in that turn one where it's kind of that like hairpin turn, um, after going up that hill, I mean, especially in restarts, I mean, Reddick was super effective in passing through there. Um, th- and that's where AJ Elmendinger got a lead at one point. I think he, he had dropped back to third on one of the last restarts and finally got an inside line, but, um, you know, super incredible stuff. Um, you know, I'm not always a fan of longer road courses, um, usually like I, I like, you know, road courses that stay under three miles, but I, I think Coda was really exciting. I think it is a good, good to have a little bit of a mix there, you know, racing like a Formula One course, um, then go to like a more traditional, like IMSA, IndyCar, longer course, like Road America. Um, obviously we have our two traditional NASCAR courses, road courses, Watkins, Glen, Sonoma, um, and then a couple other wild cards like the Roval and the um, Indy Road Course. But overall, I think this car put on a pretty good show for the first time on a road course. A lot of these cars didn't participate in that road course test back in October at the Roval um, just because of you know budgeting or, or, or just you know being in the fight for the championship last year. So um, a really strong start for the road course. We're not going to see it again until um, – we're not going to see it again for a little while, I don't think, right? Not until Sonoma. Not until Sonoma. So that's that's a few months. But um, definitely excited for the next road course race. And, and over the summer, we'll have, you know, four great road courses to keep us entertained. So congrats to Ross Chastain. That was a great battle. Probably the best finish of the year. And uh, some of these other races will definitely be hard to top. I would say it's a finish that we're going to talk about only 10 days later from today, that race, but 10 years after that race. Because, uh, and I think I'm kind of ribbing off of what Meg Joy said on the telecast. I mean, we're still talking about it. Um, in a good way, and it's not just like how what happened in the Academy Awards on Sunday night, which I won't get into. We're not going to join all the uh, sports radio DJs talking about that. But my golly, I mean, that was just a, <laughs> there's nothing you can say. I I was speechless. Um, happy for Ross, of course, and we all know how hard he has worked to be not only in the Cup Series but just to be getting the right opportunities at the right time. Um, as you know, he's kind of had his struggles, of course, not knowing if he's going to have a long-term ride. Some opportunities just washed up, not of his doing, of course. But, hey, you know, he worked his way 
and you know battle through battled with the jd motorsports team with ganassi's program got that college racing opportunity as well and you know overall he has owned his opportunities and on the flip side of things of course we got to talk about aj almendinger as on a side i mean yes he won the xfinity race which we'll get to in a later topic but on the cup side of things he had this to say about getting dumped on the last lap at the end of the day we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and if we're okay with that you're okay with it each person's different you know like i said at the end of the day each person has to make a move that they're comfortable with and that's fine so we'll at the end of the day it's we know we had a shot to win the race. It's tough to win a cup race. So when you put yourself in a position to legitimately run up front all day and have a shot to win it, it's a pretty great day. Unfortunately, we just needed two more corners, which, yeah, I was saying that, you know, um, on our team chats, I said it in a different podcast that I was guesting in uh, for this week, that pretty much it was the right move at the wrong time. But AJ's got another chance because he's going to be at Richmond this weekend. And I know we'll get to talking about Richmond here very, very shortly. But on the flip side of things as well with AJ Allmendinger's disappointing finish, but great run. Let's talk about two contenders, two championship four drivers from last season who are struggling as of late. I know we've talked about Danny Hamlin and, and his rather, let's just say, puzzling start to the season. When he hasn't even earned a top 10 in these first six races, it is almost to hit the panic button for fans of his camp. But we've also got to talk about Kyle Larson as well, because after his win at Lot Fontana and that great runner up at Las Vegas, sure, he ran in the top five at Phoenix, but then the wheels came off after at, at Phoenix. I mean, he had the, the issue with his valve stem or his alternator, something mechanically with the number five car at Phoenix. Then he gets crashed at, at Atlanta. And but by the way, he wanted to clear the air for some of us who thought maybe he got wrecked on purpose. No, Denny Hamlin was trying to push him to the front and it was just a bump draft gone wrong. Uh, and then he gets wrecked out of that race. And then on Sunday, he was in the top 10 with 13 laps to go. But I mean, I'm not trying to second guess crew chief uh, Cliff Daniels, but he was 10th place. They, they opted to get tires and fuel. I know that, you know, the, the field were on the borderline of making it on fuel or kind of running out of fuel within a lap or two. And they just never quite got that track position back and obviously ended up in trouble when in turn one, Logano and Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson all got together in calamity corner number one and all their days were just down the drain. So, I mean, Nathan... We know Hamlin's camp, it's maybe time to hit the panic button just a little bit, but is there a sense of urgency that we need to have with the number five team, given the fact that, one, they're lacking a bit of speed, but number two, without that win at, uh, at uh, Fontana, this seems probably in a bit of trouble, wouldn't you say? Um, Not yet. I don't think so. Um, Obviously, like you just said, Larson ha- has that win that you can kind of bank on, and he has some time to really turn it around before the playoffs. Because right now he's locked into the playoffs. Obviously, I don't know if that, it'll stay that way because at the rate that we're going, we might have more than 16 winners in the Cup Series. Um, we already have six right now, so that means only, we can only have 10 more winners in the next 20 races, which I don't know at this rate. I don't know if that's likely or not, with, especially with you know all these different cars contending up front and 
you know, seeing how guys like Tyler Reddick and, you know, some of these other guys that have been contending up, up front just about every week haven't gotten a win. Daniel Suarez. Um, so I, I don't think it's really time yet for him to panic. I think maybe um, if we revisit this Coke, maybe Coke 600 weekend um, two months from now, maybe, maybe it is if he's still struggling. Um, and then same for Denny Hamlin. I mean, Denny Hamlin's only 50 points back right now in the standings um, out of 16th place through six races, which is really not bad when you think about it with, with the luck that he's had. Um, you know, the driver made an error a few weeks ago. I think when he, he shifted the wrong way and both have just had pretty bad luck. So I'm, I'm not really looking into it too much yet. Obviously I think they, they both need a good run just to kind of build momentum. Um, and I think Richmond's a good place for both of them to do that. I mean, Denny Hamlin, kind of a home race for him. He's always been pretty good there. I think, I think Denny will, will have a good run at Richmond. Um, and Larson can kind of win everywhere. So I, I'm not really that worried about either of them yet. Um, Denny actually got a stage win over the weekend. So that's, that, that's a good step in the right direction for them. Just, you know, just getting those 10 stage points. So um, obviously, obviously it's early. Obviously you don't like seeing either of them struggle, but I think it's a little too early to press the panic button knowing that a Larson's already, already has that victory and, and, and B, you know, Denny, he, he's not even that far back out of the points points race yet. So I think it's a little too early to panic, but again, if, if, if we get about two, three months from now, then yeah, I would start panicking. A great point you brought up about Danny Hamlin, knowing that he's only 50 points out of that 16th and final position, which really kind of puts in perspective that he's not out of it, despite the fact that, He's not had a top 10 finish yet, but that stage win at uh, CODA certainly, you know, turned things around a little bit, gave them some hope that, you know, if they keep at it, him and uh, Hamlin and crew chief gave, uh, Chris Gapehart can certainly write their ship for sure. And Kyle Larson, I mean, he, I did ask him about this. I was like, you know, it looks like we're getting to that point where we may have 16 different winners or more before we get to the regular season finale at Daytona. And he had this to say to me, he was like, I feel like every year it starts out like this and like, oh, shoot, man, maybe there's going to be 16 different winners. And then every, eventually guys start racking up more wins and then it kind of eliminates that from happening. So it always comes down to four to six kind of different spots that can be dependent on just points only. So I think he kind of you know summed up what you said earlier right there and uh I don't think he's too worried, despite the fact that it is kind of uncharacteristic to see him have basically all these bad finishes back to back to back. But Richmond, like you said, it's certainly a chance for him and Hamlin to get things turned out, turned around for their campuses for sure. Let's actually talk about AJ Allmendinger now because I got to talking about him just a little bit. I mean, he won the Xfinity race, dominated that race, despite the fact that Ty Gibbs had his issues, of course. Uh, AJ Elmendinger, I know heading into Coda, he might have had this racetrack circle on his calendar because in the Zoom conference for uh, NASCAR, he was basically saying how the 54 team kicked his ass, basically gave it to them at Coda, and it made College Racing rethink their road course program. And it looks like the homework worked out for them because on the Xfinity side, I mean, AJ Elmendinger got his win at the Roval in Xfinity. And on the cup side of things, he got that win at Indianapolis uh, last year, which is, he said, is one of his favorite moments still to this day. But as jubilant as his feelings were for Saturday in the Xfinity race, he was this close to sweeping the weekend before it Ross Chastain. It doesn't matter if it was wrong or right. 
but we can understandably say Chastain did what he had to do to win the race, even if that made his friendship with AJ Allmendinger a bit on the cross side of roads of things. But for AJ Allmendinger, I've got to ask, uh, you know, how does he move forward from this AJ? Because we know how intense AJ can be from a mental standpoint on things. Is he able to push this aside and say, you know what? It's Richmond race weekend. I've got two more chances to win another race. Um, I think that he could probably push it aside. I mean, I think it might take a little bit of time. Obviously, I think, you know, they're, they're friends and former teammates. Um, so I think they'll probably get, you know, work through it, you know, probably this week and, and, and talk and figure it out. I think he kind of understands maybe where Ross is coming from. That obviously, this, you know, this is his, his opportunity to finally get that first cup, cup win. So um, it'll be interesting to see what, what AJ kind of says about that this week here at um, – at Richmond, but I mean, I don't think that this will be something that'll really carry over from week to week. Um, obviously, AJ's goal out there in the Cup Series is is to go out and win races. He's not racing for points. Um, and on the city side of things, his goal is to win the championship. Obviously, he's locked into the playoffs now, so I think that takes a little, um, little relief off of him. But overall, I mean, it was a successful weekend for for Allendinger and College Racing. Um, I, I think they'll get by it. I don't think there'll be any hard feelings, um, you know, going forward. Um, I think that'd be kind of kind of stupid to have. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, um, to, to have I guess negative feelings against each other going forward because I mean it's racing. I mean I don't. I mean I, Ross didn't really try to wreck AJ either. He tried to give him a bump, and the bump kind of just happened to go into the forty-eight. And then once AJ hit the forty-eight, then he went spinning. So I, I don't think AJ would have like spun and completely wrecked if it if, if Alex Bowman wasn't on on the side of him. So I think kind of wrong place, wrong time. Otherwise, I think Ross would have just kind of moved him out of the groove a little bit and kind of made him miss the corner and wouldn't have really ended his day. I don't think that was Ross's goal, but um, I, I think they'll get over it. I, I would I would agree with you too. I mean, we have to think back to two years ago when the two of them made contact on the final lap at Daytona in the Xfinity race, which basically handed the victory to their teammate, Justin Haley. So, I mean, if they were able to get over that, about a couple of years ago and still have a friendship. I think it's going to take some time. It's going to not have to be through text messages, knowing how AJ is. I'm a bit old school like him. I want somebody to talk to me face to face versus saying, I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean to do that because it doesn't really mean anything unless you have that conversation to kind of hash things over. So, you know, I think if the situations were, were was reversed, Who's to say that he wouldn't do the same thing too? So, I mean, you could flip a coin on that particular situation and it could go either way. But it's always, it's, it was certainly shocking just because of the fact that it's two friends who really duked it out in the end of that race. But it's something we're going to talk about for a long, long time for sure. Now, for our last topic, for podium perspectives this week, Nathan's going to be heading over to Richmond and that's, of course, I'm going to let Nathan talk about Richmond because I talked about Code of the Hell, and now it's time to talk about Richmond. So you, my friend, get to preview what's ahead for Richmond. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this weekend. Um, I've never covered a race this early in, in the season, so I'm, I'm super excited to obviously have that opportunity um, to meet Xfinity and Cup Series weekend down there. Uh, also, um, Welland's Modified Tour will also be there Friday night. Um, they should put on a good show too. So be on the lookout for um, for some content on, on the website and on my Twitter and the TPF Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, obviously I'll, I'll be down there covering all three races, getting a lot of content. Um, 
for all three series, trying to get some some exclusive interviews. Um, obviously, I'll be hanging out in the bullpens as well throughout the weekend to um, and, and reporting from there and, and getting some some quotables and some you know the latest news. Um, you know, in, on the Xfinity side side, we kind of have the first big incentive race of the year. It's the first dash dash for cash race. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It is AJ Allmendinger, Noah Gragson, Austin Hill, Sam Mayer. I'm pretty sure I just nailed that, but uh, I think it's those four competing for a hundred thousand dollars. That should be a fun little incentive, another storyline to watch out for. And uh, of course, just the race itself down there at um at Richmond, a 250 lapper in the Xfinity series. And in my opinion, that's always the best series. Um, you know, the Xfinity series has always put on a great show down there. I think I remember right last fall's race down there for Xfinity was pretty good. Um, and, and Sunday's also a big race for Cup. Um, kind of starts off this little short short track swing for for uh, for the Cup series. Obviously, we have Richmond this weekend. Next week in Martinsville, the first night race of the year. That, that should be fun. Followed by Bristol Dirt, another night race. Sunday night, Easter night. That that should be fun. That's a good TV window too. But um, I think these next next few weeks, you're going to definitely look at some of these short track racers um, to kind of break out and finally get that victory. Martin Truex Jr. He's been really strong at some of these short tracks of late. He won last fall at Richmond. Um, that's turned into a really good driver on those two Virginia tracks. So he's definitely got to look out for, um, of course, some of the usual suspects. Brad Kozlowski has always been pretty good there. Uh, I know he's off to a little bit of a rough start with, um, with RFK with the penalty and everything, but um but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I think it'll put on a really good show. I know the Richmond cup races haven't been as great the last few years, but hopefully with this new car, we can kind of see, uh, um, see an exciting weekend and, um, and, and a super exciting race. So hopefully you guys will be following along with me all weekend. Like I said, three series to uh, report and cover. Um, obviously follow me on Twitter, follow TPF on Twitter and uh, get the latest information from the track. Betcha. And of course you also have your photographers as well. Um, We'll have Ryan Daly and Molly Gastonow joining you at the track. So going to be super cool to see what you'll do at Richmond, the action track as well. Um, and of course, the fact that we have modified racing on Friday. I mean, that's going to be such a fun show. I've missed seeing it because we don't have the asphalt modifieds here in Texas. So I'm sure that's going to be a treat. And then as far as Xfinity race is concerned, yes, you got that right about the dash for cash. Um, like you said, you got Noah Gregson, Sam Mayer. Austin Hill, AJ Allmendinger in that as well. So it's going to be really, really cool to see what's going to happen. I mean, it's such a huge bonus opportunity for the Xfinity series uh, when they do this during the spring races. And Noah Gregson, he certainly knows what it's like to win that $100,000 bonus because he did it three times last year. So with him being in, in the hunt again, I would expect him to be in that mix and probably my pick for Saturday's Xfinity race. As far as the Cup side, of course, is concerned, yes, I would tend to agree. It's not been the most spiciest type of race on the Cup side of things, but this next-gen car is going to be interesting to watch, especially with its real first short track race ever put to the test with a full field. So I'm going to be very intent on seeing how the drivers acclimate to the brake package and also just figure out these lines as well. So, and also to the tire situation and just seeing if folks don't have those issues as well and helping the loose wheels, because we've seen enough of that already this year as Bubba Wallace's crew chief will find out this week, I'm sure. 
But yes, there are certainly folks. Stay tuned to Nathan's coverage at Richmond. You can follow along with him on Twitter at nsolly 2 And of course, we'll have content from him on theponentfinish.net. And of course, the rest of the team and I will certainly be covering that race as well. So it should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to this coming weekend for round seven of the season. I hope you all enjoyed this week's edition of Podium Perspectives. If you want us to talk about a topic in particular that we did not discuss or you would like us to discuss, tweet to us. I'm at Rob Tiongson. Nathan's at nsolly 2 And of course, our general Twitter is at the podium finish. So let's get into our final segment in the hot seat. Landing Castle is a gritty, resilient racer who has fought so hard for his opportunities not only to stay relevant, but to also have chances to win and contend on a regular basis. Much like his former teammate Ross Chastain, Castle had a future that was somewhat shrouded in doubt because of the fact that with Shep, um, Starcom Racing letting him go ahead of the 2022 season, kind of had slim pickings for opportunities. He had to take what he had around him. And when the Morgan Shepherd operations somewhat scaled back and eventually just kind of ceased operations in terms of a full-time situation, Landon had to keep himself pretty relevant. So he did so during those eNASCAR pro-invitational races. He had that really cool cardboard cockpit that he built with sponsor Blue MU. Um, and really, he was entertaining, to say the least. And of course, he was an emergency COVID driver for JTG Doherty Racing. Fast forward to 2022, and Landon's in the best opportunity ever of his life with college racing. And I'd say he's been capitalizing on that situation, as you'll get to hear from him in a bit. But Nathan, you know, Landon Castle, he's somewhat of a journeyman driver, but in baseball, it's like seeing that tough unluck uh, pitcher getting the chance to play for the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox. And not only have you, has that pitcher been signed, they're on that starting five rotation. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts on Landon Castle and what he's going to accomplish with Call of Greasing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, first of all, I'm just glad that he has a little bit of ride stability now with a, with a great ride. I mean, like he's on a two year deal at like Call of Racing. He's going to give him an opportunity to really grow and develop and, and, and just learn to drive a good car. I mean, he hasn't been um, in, in competitive pieces in a very long time. So now he's in a competitive piece. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll continue to contend for wins and, and, and right up front. He already has a couple top 10 finishes this year, top five, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's getting closer and closer, and I think it's just a matter of time until he finally brings it in the victory lane. And um, like I said, he has two years of sponsorship, two years of funding, two years of just a two-year deal. Um, so I think he'll be able to accomplish a lot, get to victory lane um, multiple times and, and improve his worth as a race car driver because – and it's, I know it's, sometimes it's really hard to do that in, in, in some of those underfunded rides, but now that he's in, a, in, a, in some really good equipment, I think he has the opportunity to, uh, to succeed big time in the Xfinity Series. And it's really great to see just because he's one of the good guys in the garage area, one of the most friendliest drivers when it comes to fan interactions. And certainly on the humor side of things, I would say he's one of the class clowns of NASCAR. For those who are not familiar with NASCAR or from an international type of audience, that's familiar with F1, I would liken him to a bit of a Sebastian Vettel or a Daniel Ricciardo in that sense. So 
with that, let's go hear from Landon and join him in the hot seat. First of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today for the Podium Finish and the Podium Finish Live podcast. Now, first of all, you're arguably the best equipment you've had in your entire racing career with a number 10 colleague racing Chevy entry. Two top 10 finishes thus far after the first four races. What's it been like to race for this organization and showcase what you can truly do in a race car? Oh, man, it's it's been wonderful so far. I mean, I, I feel like um, this team is just so well put together and the cars are, are great to drive and um, I just feel lucky to be in this position. So, um, you know, a couple of top 10s is great. The, the uh, you know, I feel like competing for top fives and wins is definitely in our horizon. And that has to be an exciting prospect, just considering the fact that you have shown some race-winning speed at Daytona, and you certainly rebounded from that um, debacle with what happened in Fontana. I mean, you've been showing what you, crew chief uh, Jason Trinchieri, can do. So speaking of your crew chief, you know, he knows what it's like to battle for a NASCAR Xfinity Series championship. He did so with getting into the championship four last year with your teammate A.J. Allmendinger, so What's been some of the things that he's brought to the table that you feel has strengthened your efforts as a race car driver? I mean, I think it's just the whole the whole team and organization and everything they built. I mean, Jason is um, is smart and calm and um, you know and knows knows what uh, what he's doing. But I, I think it's just the entire organization for me that um, is is giving me a look inside of you know how these teams have been competing at the highest level. And that has to be really cool because of the fact that, you know, we talked about this a little bit before the start of the season, and I wasn't ribbing on your age, but, you know, you're definitely mm-hmm. the epitome of resilience and perseverance. You know, you you had to struggle along, take some part-time opportunities, uh, race from midfield teams to even uh, upstart teams. But, you know, how did you keep optimistic or at least focused on staying the course, knowing that maybe one of these days you would get a good opportunity like this, this one over colleague? Well, I mean, it's just a matter of always, um, you know, this is this is what I do for a living and what I've had to do, and um, and you know, and I and I love doing it, and I've um, chosen time and time again to continue this career, and um, you know, obviously, the the work on the racetrack is one thing, and the work off the racetrack, um, you know, has continued as well, and ultimately, that's what has given me this opportunity with college racing. It's really cool because, you know, you're definitely carrying on what Colleague has been doing. They've been this team that's been able to, you know, certainly uplift the careers of drivers like yourself, A.J. Allmendinger, and, of course, the reigning champion, uh, Daniel Hemmerd. I have to ask you what it's like to work with those two drivers and, of course, with Justin Haley on the cup side. I know you're not racing in the Colleague car, but with the Spire entry and cup, but what's it been like to have all of these resources, your teammates around you, where in years past you may have been the only driver or maybe had one other teammate to rely on? It's it's really been wonderful, um, especially because I feel like Daniel and AJ and I have a lot in common, uh, and we've all known each other for a very long time, and we all get along really well, and we've all experienced a lot in our careers. And so uh, it's really helped us, you know, have a, have a very strong mutual respect for each other, and um and you know i think that we've had a pretty strong with the three of us have had a really strong relationship right from the start i think it's really pivotal of course to have that good chemistry with each other a sense of familiarity so that when you are the new kid in town although daniel is as well um you know you can certainly go you know what we're in together 
there's no like oh hierarchy or AJ's the one that we have to like kind of follow after like you all are equals in this this call and racing effort all together which I think is so so cool to see you know and with your experience over the years you know I know that the Xfinity series has sort of been sort of the top series if you will when you look at what social media reactions are showing on Reddit, Twitter, you know, folks are saying, you know, the Xfinity series is the best race of all the three races all weekend long. You know, as a driver, what do you think are the two or three major selling points about Xfinity that makes it one of the top racing divisions, not only with NASCAR, but all of motorsports? <laughs> what are the two or three selling points that make it the best? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, the, you just have a field full of hungry drivers, and um, and they race hard. The cars are hard to drive. I mean, I, I, you know, I think the cars are hard to drive in all the divisions, especially in the Cup Series right now with the next gen. But um, you know, the, it's, there's a really good balance in the Xfinity Series between experience and um, and young talent. Um, I think there's young talented drivers in the series that are just really good and they deserve every opportunity that they have um, to be in the cars they're in. Um, and then there's some really experienced drivers like AJ and Justin and Daniel, um, um, Justin Allgaier. And so it, it's just it's just a really solid group. I think there's a really good balance of drivers. And I think it also has to help, too, that you guys um, you guys put on a great show every weekend, no matter what track you guys are at. I mean, this weekend, of course, Atlanta Motor Speedway, there's so much uncertainty with it. You know, some are saying it's good to be a mini super speedway race, and some see this playing out like, uh, you know, after a few laps, handling's going to be a factor, and we'll get back to the Atlanta that we've known over the years. I know that you, you're pretty uh, efficient with iRacing, so, you know, if you've had a chance to try it out on iRacing, what do you think we can expect from Atlanta, not only this weekend, but when the series returns in July? I don't think anybody knows right now. I mean, obviously, iRacing doesn't have the new configuration of Atlanta yet. So, oh, okay. Um, I think it's it's there's going to be a lot of unknowns. I think that um, I think that you'll see a, a it'll it's going to be some some blend between watching Daytona um, and and Texas Motor Speedway. I think. That's going to be an interesting little mix to see at the least. And if that's not enough for folks to tune in to the races this weekend and in July, I don't know what will because that's right, right then and there. I think that's going to be pretty cool to watch uh, from home and for those who are going to cover the race on site. You know, kind of going back to the experience part about you, again, not picking on your race because I know I've got years ahead of you, of course. Um, <laughs> your, your experience over the years, you know, you're still relatively young, but, you know, the Xfinity Series, let's admit, there's a lot of 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, folks that were born in the year 2000, which makes me feel quite old. Hopefully not, doesn't make you feel old, but <laughs> <laughs> how do you see your experience serving you well when it comes to picking and choosing those battles? Because surely there's going to be differences in philosophies and approaches out there, as we saw Las Vegas and Ryan Sieg and Ty Gibbs. Yeah, I mean it does, and and um and I and I see that during every single race, you know, where I can definitely tell that my experience helps with my patience or my willingness um, to make you know maybe smarter decisions than other drivers. But um, but that experience only lasts so long. I mean, those young drivers they figure it out pretty fast. I mean, they're good. They're 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 in the Xfinity Series for a reason. 
Um, they're good drivers. And so, um, you know, they learn fast. And so you, you just, at the end of the day, it's that I feel like right now I'm just taking this approach that I, I need to focus on what I can control them and, and do my job every week. And I say that if you keep doing that, you'll definitely be in the mix with those young lions out there uh, in the Xfinity Series because that's, I think, another reason what makes Xfinity Series racing such an exciting watch every race weekend along with the premier divisions that we see during the calendar year. And, you know, talking about the next point, you did touch upon this a little bit briefly, but you have some experience driving the next-gen car now. I mean, you tried it out at the LA Coliseum for the Bush Light Flash, and of course with Spire during the Daytona 500. So I know that those are two different racetracks, and it's probably not the best comparison in terms of what you've driven with a Gen 6 car, but what's your general thoughts with the next-gen car and its potential to create closer competitive style of racing and cup, as we're seeing with F1 with the, uh, their car, their next-gen car? Man, it's it's been interesting. I mean, I think that the teams are still just figuring it out. It's going to take some time. Um you know, I think you'll see some teams with some advantages early on. Obviously, you know, Trackhouse has kind of got it figured out. Um, I think Stuart Haas is running really well. So, um, but there's just, I think there's going to be a lot of parity. I think these teams, the field is going to be closer. And and the um, the rate at which teams are finding speed is going to start slowing down. And the cars are going to be, um, or they're going to get tighter and tighter over over time. And then, you know, folks at home, some of them are complaining, like, oh, you know, the next-gen car is just so much slower. The city cars are even faster. But um, would you agree with this observation that I've had, that sometimes speed doesn't always equate to better racing for Cup. It's just sometimes better to have whatever elements that makes the racing close and competitive versus flat-on speed. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that um, to some degree. I, I, I will say that... Um, it was a pretty proud thing for all of us racers to be driving cup cars that had 900 plus horsepower um, in the 2000s, 2010s. Um, you know, I'm proud that I got to drive cars like that because it's just it's something else to experience. You know, 9,500 RPMs and 900 horsepower. So I, I do think that that will be forever missed if that's something that never comes back. Uh, but I agree with you in terms of what puts on a good race, uh, you know, big horsepower alone doesn't ex- isn't exclusive to good racing. That's true. It's not just a black and white observation to have to say, oh, high speed racing doesn't always equate to good racing. But you know, in certain mm-hmm. situations, I think it also does lend itself to competitiveness, to say the least. Now, I know I've talked. I got a few more questions here before I wrap things up. You know, of course, you've got your children who are growing up. They're watching you race on the track. What is it like to share one of your passions with them when they get to be with you during the race weekends? That can be inspirational for them with their individual pursuits. Um, you know, it's just been it's just been a pleasure with with my kids just to see me race right now and um and really get into it. I mean, Beckham is is is, is really is enjoying the races more now than ever, um, and he's more interested in racing now than ever. Uh, maybe because he, his, his dad finally has a, is on TV and has a chance to win. Um, so the kids have been, uh, um, you know, there's a bounty on my head right now for a top five. 
uh, the kids, I guess, get ice cream, and um, if I get a top five, and unlimited Shirley Temples if I win. So um, they've been they've been rooting for me for that. Well, that's a really great incentive, and that sort of makes you think of how Daniel Suarez does the whole Dairy Queen thing. So at least you have a natural, legit reason to have some of those desserts to, uh, with your family, and, and I bet you too if potentially having your own diecast cars of your cars later this year, that's certainly extra incentive, too. Absolutely. <laughs> i got a couple more questions before I wrap it up with you. Now, I'm going to put yep. you in my shoes being a journalist, but you have to describe yourself as a driver. What three words would you choose <clears throat> and why? Um, to describe myself as a driver? Yeah. Um, patient, uh, prepared, and hopefully lucky. <laughs> I'd like to be lucky. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I would hey, uh, describe myself. That's not a, that, maybe that's a wish that I wish I was lucky. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. Patient, prepared, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll consider lucky. I mean, that's a that's a unique word choice for that. Lucky to be here. Exactly, fortunate. I, I think we'll we'll accept that with the judges fortunate. here. <laughs> My last question for you before you get on the track for practice is: you know, in our world, we have the concept of twin cities or sister cities that unites two locations globally. So, what race car driver in any division would you say is your essential brother brother racer or essential twin in any motorsports division anywhere in the world? <laughs> um, I, you know, I like Lando Norris over in F1. I think, uh, you know, maybe he's a younger version of myself. Um, you know, as far as my age right now, I feel like Daniel Hemrick and I, you know, I see a lot of similarities uh, between the two of us. We get along really well. Um, obviously, he's my teammate at College Racing, and we come from a very similar background as well. We race go-karts um, with each other since we were nine years old. Well, episode 23 is almost in the books. We've almost got it ready to be shipped out there in reliable transportation as you get ready for not only the NIT for the Bonnies, but, of course, the race weekend at Richmond, which, you know, typically I'd say I would have post-race blues because, COVID, you know, Coda's done. But I still have so much stories to get to. And, of course, you mentioned about your agenda with Richmond. But, you know, that's not the only race you're going to be doing this year. Of course, there's going to be many more. But uh, we also got good word from um, Dover Raceway or Dover Motor Speedway that you will also be doing that race. And you'll also have two photographers. So you're going to have quite a busy spring, I would say. Yeah, for sure. It's it's fun. I get I get to go to the racetrack and... You know, I, I get to do my reporting thing and I'll have two photographers with me to get all the, <laughs> all the shots I need, but it'll be awesome to have, uh, you know, have some TPF company at the track for sure. Um, and, and meet some of these other great TPFers, um, that I've, I haven't really gotten to meet yet, just oh, except for over Twitter, um, met Luis at the Bush clash, but that, that's the only, it's the only TPF I've met so far in person, but, um, excited to get to work with, with everybody at, at those two racetracks and, um, you know, like you said, first of, of many races this year for, for TPF, and I couldn't couldn't be more excited for it. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, again, I haven't covered, I haven't been to races, I haven't covered races this early in the season before. So, 
Um, definitely a tremendous opportunity. I'm excited to uh, have a really busy weekend at Richmond. So just very excited to get down there. I'm going to have a ton of content and uh, hope you guys follow along. Hope you guys follow along with Nathan because he's going to have some great stuff for sure. And he always does a great job for us on the TPS side, even when he's covering remotely. So really excited for him. And Nathan, I'm sure you're going to enjoy those media bullpens because it's uh, it's going to be as exhilarating as it does get to be in a race car during one of these short track races. So I can tell you, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of hard work ahead of you, but uh, I, I really look forward to what you'll do from Richmond Raceway with our team. And of course, Dover Motor Speedway in May. It feels weird saying Dover Motor Speedway because I'm used to saying Dover Speedway or Dover Downs Speedway back when I was a kid, but um, time goes pretty quickly just as uh, another episode of TPF Live goes really quickly. Um, episode 24, folks, we're going to be back on the airwaves on DEFI SPU 88.3 FM The Buzz at our normal time of Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, of course, which you can catch us on the radio show side of things at WSBUFM.com or on the TuneIn app on your smartphone or iPhone. So be sure to check us out on the radio show side of things. And of course, Today's episode and much more can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever platform of podcasts that you listen to will be there. And speaking of episode 24, you will want to be there, folks, because we have two special guests that will be joining us for next week. Uh, The only hint I'm going to give for folks is number 24 and a certain team. That's it. That's not really much of a hint, but oh well. I mean, Nathan and I know who they are, but uh, for you folks at home, take a wild guess. If you get it right, I might have something for you folks at home to send over to you. So just take that over, folks. And Nathan, of course, thanks as always for joining me for another edition of TPF Live. It's really crazy how fast these go by uh, week after week as we pump up these episodes and get ready for our our next on-site race for you. And of course... When we get to the month of May, things will get pretty, pretty interesting and busy for TPF. So let's get this puppy wrapped up, as I've been saying lately, uh, and just get ready for episode 24. So, you know, we're about out of time, folks. But thank you again for joining us for another edition of TPF Live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any major podcast platform. For Nathan Solomon and Landon Castle, this is Rob Tignox, and thanking you for listening to our podcast. As always, let's go get that checkered flag, and until next time, so long everyone!